Chapter 13 of The Gargoyle by Grea Lespina. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Ben Tucker. Chapter 13 Lucifer Takes Toll. Between the heavy black curtains that shielded the entrance to the chapel, Alden stumbled like one suddenly dazed. The loud humming of the ruby globe dominated the atmosphere, and like one bereft of all willpower, all strength, the woman sank down behind one of the evil statues near the doorway, helpless to aid in averting the tragedy that now seemed imminent. The occultist, more wary because he perhaps knew what he would have to confront, stood just inside the curtains, out of sight of the master, but in a position to take in everything. On the marble slab lay the supine figure of Luke Porter, motionless. Before it, with hands outstretched against the nearer advance of the master, stood Sybil, as if frozen stiff by horror and her impotence. Guy Fane, his arms lifted to the swinging, flame-tongued sphere, was wrapped in ecstasy as he cried his invocations. Behold the spotless sacrifice. Today she was supremely happy, and tonight her abandonment to grief is just as keen. Lord Lucifer, is not this broken spirit meet for a sacrifice unto thee? Madame Fane emptied a handful of incense upon the tripod censer. Her garments rustled like wind in the trees as she turned to her son. Guy, trembled her voice imploringly. Do not forget your promise to me. A hard triumphant laugh issued from the chiffon swathings that hid the master's face. Woman, what are promises to me, the favored one of Lucifer? I am a free man. Promises cannot bind me. But you told me Sybil should live. She shall live to endure a living death, he pronounced oracularly unless she stands in my way, when Lucifer tells me her lover's youth and beauty are ripe for my taking. Then... And the voice was ominous with unspoken threats. He swept aside his mother's entreating hands. Stand aside, woman, he thundered. This is no time for your silly chatter. This is my hour. Again he lifted both hands in invocation. Lucifer, son of the morning, I have obeyed thee. I give thee the soul of Sibyl Fane, once a happy, light-hearted girl, now a sad and agonizing woman. Thou hast promised me in return these limbs, these features. And he gestured toward the quiet form on the altar. No, 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 screamed Sibyl, finding voice at last. I do not know what you intend to do, but you shall not harm Luke, not while I live to prevent it. Perhaps you will not live to prevent it, Sybil, responded the magician, pausing in his invocation to address her. But if you will stand out of my way, I will spare his life. Oh, I knew you couldn't be so cruel, the girl gasped. You won't hurt him, will you, then? Again, a laugh issued with malevolent hardness from the veil. I shall take that shell of his, and give him mine in return, Sybil. If you can love him still, why, perhaps you can be happy with the monster that he will be. He turned once more to the globe. The perfumed incense had created clouds of heavy fragrance, redolent of the east and its esoteric mysteries. 
The master was plainly on the verge of his diabolic experiment. The whimpering hum of the glowing sphere sounded continuously with a drowsy, numbing effect on the senses. The master cried out, Lucifer! 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 I dedicate to thee the broken heart of the spotless maid. I offer thee the pulsing heart of the sturdy man whose youth and comeliness are to be mine. The humming of the ruby globe grew louder, heavier, sweeter, until it seemed as if the very atmosphere were charged with some foreign, supernatural potency to draw the vitality out of those who had braved the horrors of that eerie chapel. The occultist heard a little sigh, and saw Alden crumpling into a tumbled heap at the foot of the sculptured horror. The automatic slipped from her pocket to the floor. Cagliostro salvaged the weapon. He would try material magic on the master first. Madame Fane's voice rang out loudly with sudden sharp reproach. "'No, Guy! You shall not, I tell you! Let her alone!' Her voice rose in a shrill treble of excitement ending in a shriek that pierced the eardrums with poignancy. No, Guy, no! Her blood must not be on your hands! She is your own half-sister! The master had swung about, the keen blade of a flashing knife in one hand. With the other he held back the struggling form of his mother, who caught vainly at the deadly blade, her face convulsed with horror and dismay. Sybil, pressed backward across her lover's motionless form, had spread her hands behind her for his protection. And it was this thwarting of his intention that had infuriated Guy Fane, who was threatening her with the knife even while he held back his mother's struggling body. That shrill scream had acted like a powerful tonic to the other mother, lying apparently unconscious at Cagliostro's feet. Alden was up, and had crossed with a bound, the space separating her from the altar. The knife swept downward toward Sybil's breast as Guy flung his mother to one side. Alden met it in full. As it clove its way into her unresisting flesh, she laughed aloud. A terrible laugh that rang out through the atmosphere with ominous import. Then she slipped to the feet of the day's Sybil, gasping as she fell five pregnant words. Fools, I am her mother. It was over in a moment. The actors in the tragedy stood as if paralyzed by the swift movement of events. Then Madame Fane broke into a weakly wailing cry. Her mother? Oh, now I understand much, much. I knew Sybil was protected. Her mother! Burning eyes through his veil, the master turned to look upon the dying woman. Her mother, he echoed numbly. Oh, I knew something. Someone was watching over her to thwart me. But I shall not be cheated out of my bargain with Lucifer. The offering which purchases my freedom from this horrible and monstrous form shall yet be his, and it shall be a triple one tonight. He took the dead woman's shoulder and drew her to one side roughly. Cagliostro took a step forward from the protection of the statue, but Madame Fane had caught again at her son's arm, this time with a purpose and nervous strength that took him by surprise. Guy, you shall not... In that name I dare not utter in this evil place, I swear that I shall perish before you stain your hand with more blood tonight. Another crime on your soul, my son. Let these poor helpless creatures go. Are you mad? He shouted brutally, pushing her aside and reaching for Sybil's shoulder. The terrified girl shrank back, 
but not for an instant did she forget to shield her lover's body with her own, her purple eyes ablaze with fearless purpose, crying, "'Give me the knife!' Madame Fane caught at Guy's hand, and by sheer force of sudden surprise, wrested the blade from his fingers. Then she moved away from him, backward, down the altar steps, holding that horridly dripping thing away from contact with her rustling garments as she backed off, step by step. The horrified occultist had been paralyzed by the swift march of events, and unable to do even so little as lift the pistol into shooting position. Alden's astonishing and tragic death had happened so quickly that he knew he could not have saved the unhappy mother. He stood rooted to the spot now, watching this other mother who had snatched the deadly knife from the hands of the worshipper of Lucifer. Madame Fane backed away, holding the weapon from her in mingled repulsion and dread. For a moment her son followed her with his eyes, and then realization that without the knife he could not go on with the sacrifice came to him. He took a step toward her. "'Give me the knife!' rang out the stern command. She shook her head slowly from side to side, continuing her retreat toward the corridor door. Cagliostro lifted the pistol and waited for her to pass him. He intended, then, to cover Guy Fane, make him stand beside her. Down the altar steps sprang the master toward his mother. And then that took place which Providence decreed. As Cagliostro peered cautiously around the statue, watching Madame Fane, he drew back involuntarily at her loud cry of consternation and dismay. He leaned out to stare incredulously. She had disappeared from view as if the earth had opened to swallow her. The master stopped short. The paving of the chapel had yawned at his very feet, had swallowed up the sins and sorrows of his mother, and had closed relentlessly upon her. The master turned his head from side to side uneasily. He knew that someone had tampered with the buttons of the private switchboard. And I cannot punish her, he murmured in a low voice. She has gone beyond my reach, that other mother. It was Sybil's mother. Oh, if I could bring her back to life, how I would punish those meddling fingers. He turned and retraced his footsteps to the altar, testing each stone on the way with his foot to be sure that it would bear his weight. Muttered words fell from his lips as he once more confronted Sybil. There are too many mothers here tonight, too many mothers, and my knife is gone, but it shall not matter. These hands shall tear his pulsing heart from his breast. Sybil, while you watch him change into my ugliness. He came closer to her, while she leaned away from him terrified, but without leaving the man she loved. His thoughts went at random then, and Sybil watched him, fascinated, as he sank upon his knees before the altar. Unhappy mother, and that other mother. How could I know that the mothers would ruin everything? Lucifer, why didst thou not warn me that the mothers would ruin all? Must I remain an eternal prisoner in this monstrous shape because of the mothers? His voice rose in plaintive melancholy. And did not the oracle promise me that tonight I should step from this loathsome body into freedom? O oh, lord and master, give me a sign! Cagliostro had been creeping closer to the altar. As he went, he managed to make some gesture that caught Sybil's eye. As soon as she saw him, his finger at his lips imposed silence upon her. But he glowed at the look of relief that swept across her pallid face. The heavy, incense-laden atmosphere vibrated. Flickering lights and shadows danced evilly on the pavement as the ruby tongues of flame darted from the swinging, 
humming globe of fiery crimson in the shrine. Cagliostro did not wish to wait longer. The moment had come for him to act. Lucifer, grant a sign. The sacrificial knife has been wrested from my fingers. I have but these naked hands. Touch the altar with thy fire, Lord Lucifer, that I may know it is acceptable. Into the radiance of that mystic ruby brilliance sprang the short, heavy figure of the little occultist. Hands up, Gyphane. I have you covered. The veiled man rose, turning in a dazed manner that betrayed eloquently how far unaware the master had been of other presences in the chapel. He came down the steps of the shrine with reluctant dignity, but without lifting his hands, as Herbert Benny had commanded. Put up your hands, Mr. Fane! With contemptuous gesture and scornful laugh, the master folded his arms on his breast so that the hands rested on opposite shoulders. Do you really imagine, silly little mummer, that I, I, am to be constrained like any common man to comply with your very rude demand? I who can lift my veil again and blast you where you stand? Has not one lesson been sufficient? Must I repeat it? The little man shivered. His pale blue eyes squinted from Guy to the eager, strained face of Sybil and back again. Shoot, if it pleases you, observed the master nonchalantly. The experience may teach you another lesson. Your bullets cannot penetrate my charmed flesh. None but a silver bullet can harm me, and your bullets are of lead, foolish magician. Lead! What, afraid? Am I not a broad target? He sneered. You're unarmed, Mr. Fane, retorted the little man with as much calm as his jumping nervous system would allow him to demonstrate. I can't shoot an unarmed man, but I want you to undo your spells on that young man, and then you can stand aside while both of those young people go out of this hellish place. I'm not afraid of you, stoutly. I know now what to expect. You, you took me by surprise before. The master laughed soft and long. I am not an unarmed man, Mr. Benny. There are occult forces at my disposal, as you have witnessed, that would strip you of the power to press the trigger. But I scorn to use them against such a miserable and puny opponent. The words stung. Cagliostro Moderno, stepping forward with the pistol pointed at the master's stomach, said brusquely, Move to one side. Instinctively, the master gave way. Cagliostro sprang past him and up to the altar. He drew Sybil gently to one side and leaned over the prostrate young man. He breathed against the closed eyelids. He whispered into the ears, and then he took both hands and drew Luke Porter into a sitting position. All right, he queried briefly. Luke drew a long breath of relief. Knew what was going on all the time, he exclaimed, but just couldn't speak or move. Give me that pistol, Benny. The cultist shook his head. You take the young lady and run as fast as you can to the draw. It's open. Get out quick. Your car is in front. Never mind me. I can take care of myself. Go while the draw is open. How wise is our great Cagliostro Moderno, drawled a mellow voice. Luke and the occultist both turned like a flash. They had for the time forgotten Guy Fane, who had slipped quietly to the entry door and carefully avoiding the pavement which had swallowed up his unfortunate mother, stood there, leaning against the lintel negligently. 
to go while the draw is open, he laughed. How long do you think it will take me to reach my study? I who am acquainted with every passage, every stairway here. Five minutes after I have reached my study, I shall have the pleasure of going on a long journey, and I think you three will go with me, in fire and flame, from the altar of Lucifer. No, do not stir. You cannot escape. I shall close the draw first, and the fuse will burn exactly five minutes. Stop him, shouted Luke, reaching for the pistol. You have ruined my hope to be as other human beings are. Perhaps if I had gained what I desired, I might have acquired a heart as well. Who knows? But now I am harder than the very nucleus of the crystal sphere. You shall not live to triumph over me. This castle will make a splendid funeral pyre, will it not? The little occultist stood stupidly, while Guy Fane turned to go. Give me that pistol, cried Luke again, snatching at it and firing after the disappearing master. The shot echoed and re-echoed along the chapel walls and out through the adjoining corridors. As it died away, they could hear Guy Fane's eerie laughter ringing mockingly through the doorway, mingled with his rapidly retreating footfalls. The master had gone, unharmed, to carry out his threat. The draw! Sybil, give me your hand! Benny, I can't forgive you for not giving me that pistol before. If I'd shot the monster, we would be safe now, snapped Luke, drawing Sybil after him along the pavement blocks that had appeared sound when the master had retreated. Cagliostro stared mournfully but did not follow them. A sudden white light of determination broke across his face. He spoke quickly. I can stop him. Hold him. Long enough for you to escape. Run, I'll get him at his study. Don't be a fool, shouted Luke, pulling Sybil along down the corridor that led to the courtyard giving upon the draw. You'll be trapped. A strangely transfiguring smile rested on the little occultist's face, transforming it into something finer, bigger than it had ever appeared before. Goodbye, he said simply, and was gone. There was no time to dissuade him. Luke swept the panting Sybil up into his arms. Twice she had stumbled in their mad flight. He covered the short remaining distance with his precious burden in record time, and as he emerged into the courtyard saw with grateful heart that the draw was still open lighted by the headlamps of the waiting car. His limbs braced themselves for the final effort. He staggered out upon the drawbridge, holding the girl closely to him. If we go, we go together, he told himself grimly. At the middle of the draw, it began to tremble and jar. The draw was rising slowly. Guy Fane must have reached his study and have closed it. The cables creaked and groaned. For a moment, Luke's heart almost stopped beating as he flung himself face down, Sybil beside him, on the rapidly perilous slope of the draw. They clung together. In another moment, they would lose their hold and slip down back into the courtyard to perish by the explosion. The jarring recommenced. The draw, miracle of miracles, began to lower again. Sybil got to her feet dazedly. Luke rose, caught at her hand, and drew her along. In another minute, they had reached the edge. Another and they were across the moat, and Luke was pulling the girl into the seat of the little car. He slid in behind the wheel, started the engine. Then he turned and honked several times, watching to see the little occultist in the doorway. A fine column of smoke was rising from midway in the building, a loud crackling, the waving hands of Herbert Benny from the window over the draw. Goodbye. Don't forget Cagliostro. The little man was smiling wanly. Rumbling, 
a heavy, thunderous roar that rose in terrible, crashing explosion, shaking the earth, rocking the car's occupants from side to side. Blinding light flashed from the castle on all sides. The landscape stood out distinct as in broad daylight. It was sheer stupidity to linger in the open. Luke, sick at heart for the fate of the little occultist, who had so nobly risen to that great opportunity of his life, drove off down the steep roadway as rapidly as he dared to get beyond the radius of falling stone and debris. Gaifane had been right. The oracle had spoken truly. The master had left his monstrous body and stepped out into freedom at last. End of chapter 13 End of The Gargoyle by Greya Lespina